Thank you, Pastor Bob and praise team. And uh, it's good to be back. I was on vacation last week. We were in North Carolina with the entire family. First time we've all been together in one place in a year. And uh, so that was good to, to all be together. And the week before I was at a camp. And I always appreciate um, having staff. Pastor Josh, I, I heard he did an outstanding job last week. And I'm appreciative of my staff. I appreciate that, that as a church, everything doesn't fall on one person. It falls on us together. And we'll even be talking about that a little bit later today, that, that, that we're in this together. And I'm thankful for a church that understands that we're in this together. And so we, we, we have space to take some time. And, and I hope you feel space to take time as well. Uh, last series we just got through was legacy, and we talked about leaving a legacy. And, and really, as we, we move into this series, as we talk about generations, I, I, I think it, it's a perfect uh, fit of series together as we talk about being a generational church and, and how we create a legacy and how our faith is moved from one generation to another. And so uh, as we begin this series, there's a scripture that, that will be kind of the key of the scripture, or key scripture in the series. Psalms 145.4 says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. And, and as you think about that, I, I want you to, I think typically as the scripture is written, we typically think of the older generation telling the younger generation what, what God is doing. And I, and I think that's a true reading of that scripture. But I, I think there's also implicit or implied in that scripture. It's not just, it's not a one-way communication. But, but, but I believe even a younger generation can tell an older generation what God is doing among them. And that's something to celebrate, folks, that, that God is still moving even in a younger generation. And, and I think sometimes we begin to, to be, believe that, that God has stopped moving, but He's not moving. And so there's this ideal that the church is meant to be generational. In other words, uh, think, think of this in two aspects. N number one, as we gather together, it, it's not just young people, it's not just older people, it's just not middle-aged people, but, but the church is meant to be this melting pot where many generations can come together and love one another, much like a family can come together and we can be generational. And, and not only that, there is this ideal that Faith is meant to be passed down. Uh, faith is best passed down. That, that, that somehow, as the people of God, our, our primary or a significant part of our mission field is not just outside these walls, but those that God has given us the particular uh, privilege of being parents and grandparents and mentoring as older folks. And so the church is meant to be generational. It's, it's meant to encompass many ages. It's meant to be passed down. And, and when we lose our younger folks, well, those of us, I will be 55 next year. And that means that at Spencer's High School Games, I will get to go free. Uh, as, and, and, and it is making him almost sick to think of me going free as an older. But those of us over 55, you know, that, let, let's just pick that number. <laughs> Don't you like the advertisements you see on TV for those 54 to 85? You know, it's, it's a pretty broad spectrum. But those of us over 55... Aren't we glad that there is a younger generation coming up after us? 
I would hate to think of, of what would happen in a church if everyone was over 55 years old. You're, you're, you're close to the end of your life cycle if that's the case. And not only that, but you lose all the enthusiasm that younger folks can, can often have in their experience of God. And I think when we lose our older folks, the church becomes inexperienced. It loses its maturity. It loses its seasoning. And so I'm thankful for a church that's balanced. And we are balanced. We have many generations that are present even this morning. We're a passing down church. And one of the things that I celebrate about this church, even if they're not here, and I see Whitney's here. Uh, she's, she's visiting with us, but Whitney's not always here. But I'm thankful for the, the individuals like Whitney that, that I know, even though they're not here locally, they're out serving in the church somewhere. And I'm thankful for that, that we are a passing down church. You know, that, that's the reality that, that we often face as parents, is our, our kids may not be with us all the time, but their faith can be with them, and wherever they find themselves, they can find themselves in church and serving. Now, we're balanced, and, and we are a passing down church, but, but let me give you a quote. The first job of a leader is to define reality. <laughs> In other words, as your pastor, one of my first obligations is to make sure we're aware and we are honest with ourselves where we're at, where we're going, what, what, what the reality of our age is. I would be failing you as a pastor if all I did was stand up here and give you positive reinforcement and good news when there's bad news to face as well, right? <laughs> Now, we're balanced. You can see, go ahead and show that chart, Meryl. This is a, a typical generational composition. You can't see it that well. But you can see that, that we cover pretty closely all the spectrums. P perhaps we are a little bit larger in the greatest generation uh, than, than typical, but, but really not a whole lot. We're pretty close to, to what, uh, and, and this is just, based on who's done our forms. So, you know, this, this isn't an exact science, but, but we're pretty close. But there's a reality we need to face. And the reality is this, young people are abandoning the church. Maybe not here, but, but in our community, in our nation, younger folks, millennials, are abandoning faith. And, and many of them aren't really abandoning faith, but they're abandoning church. They're letting go of, of organizations. And, and so churches all around us, churches all around us are dying as the congregation begins to age and they do not begin to incorporate younger folks in their midst. Um, I don't want to be one of those congregations, do you? <laughs> and so even though I think we're doing pretty well, we can do better. Amen? We're not perfect. There's, there, there's a, we could do better in things, and, and, and I want to see us do better. But it's not just a young issue. It's not just about younger folks. And, 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 and I, when I'm preaching this series, I don't want you to just hear, oh, pastor's just talking about younger folks. This is an aged issue as well. See, it, it centers on this issue of productivity. 
And when someone is less productive in our view, we begin to marginalize them. We begin to forget about them. And as some in our congregation begin to age and begin to not be able to do as much as they used to do, it's possible for a congregation to begin to forget about those folks as well. Amen? And so, it's not a young issue, it's not just an older issue, but but it's about multiple generations connecting. You know, it's interesting though that in in my lifetime... Uh, I've been a pastor now for close to 20 years. And, and in my ministry time and then in my church leadership time as a, as a layman on church boards, can, can I tell you one of the things that we have talked about the entire time I have been in church leadership for the past 30 years? You know what we've talked about? Young folks, right? I mean, it has been a a topic of our resources and our program and and our styles and all we do. Everything we have been doing has been, we have poured resources into a younger generation. We've been taught that, that most people come to Christ before the age of 13. And so we've poured our resources into people finding faith before the age of 13 with the hope that they'll maintain that faith and stay in the church. And yet we still have this mass exodus going on in many churches in North America. I saw this quote from Albert Einstein. The significant problems we face cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. I like that. In other words, the, the problems that we're dealing with in the North America church, we cannot continue to think at the same level if we want to solve them, but we need to be able to think at a different, a higher, a new level. And so we've looked at, we, we've poured resources in, and, and we've, we've, we've worked with styles, and we, we've done with environments, and all these things we've done with kids and youth, and yet we continue to lose them when they graduate from high school. Josh, am I wrong? You've done better than most. Uh, but I'm praying to God that we never become one of those churches where our kids just float off into ether. We need to think different. It's not about resources. This is less a resource issue and more of a relationship issue. The the problem will not be solved with programs or money or styles or environment. The problem will be solved with relationships. Strong generational relationships are the key to maintaining faith and church connection with a younger generation. To keep them involved and part of the body. Matter of fact, Josh gave me a, a resource that, he, that he's, he's been looking at for, I guess, probably two years called Sticky Faith. Sticky Faith, in, in, in essence, in a nutshell, Sticky Faith says that for, for every 
young person under the age of 18, if there are five significant adult faith relationships in their life, if by the time they're 18, they have five strong multi-generation connections, then their faith will stick. What's that tell us? If you're relying on Josh only to get your son or your daughter into the kingdom, if you're relying on Kim only, you're missing four people. It is impossible. It is not, it is not statistically probable that Josh or Kim or even just a Sunday school teacher by themselves can do this on their own. We need many hands, many people involved in, in our kids and our teens and our young folks' life. Generational churches emphasize cross-generation relationships. In other words, if we want to be a generational church, if we want to continue to be this church where our pie chart reflects our culture and our community, we have to be a church that emphasizes cross-generational connections. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this. We're going to talk about authenticity We're going to talk about shared leadership. We're going to talk about empathy. We're going to talk about creating a warm community. We're going to talk about making people the priority. We're going to talk about being the best neighbors. And when I talk about these things, these things are particularly important to those who would be classified as millennials. But I don't think they're exclusive to millennials. Folks, don't you want to be part of a church where people are authentic, where leadership is shared, where people are empathetic, where where there's a warm community, where people matter, where we're the best neighbors we can be? Don't you want to be part of a church like that? I, I don't think this is a young or old issue. This is an authenticity issue, really being the church. Now, there's some resources that I've, that I've looked at, and may, maybe you want to look at them, and if you want some more details, Growing Young is a resource based on statistics uh, that Josh has been, that, that gave, Josh provided to me that, that gives research on, on churches that are reaching the younger generation. Who Stole My Church? <laughs> Anybody ever feel like that? Uh, by Gordon McDonald, great book uh, to read. I'd encourage you to read Who Stole My Church. It's a, it's a, it's a fictional church moving through the, the change of, of society and culture and church. The Forgotten Ways, which was an Alan Hirsch book and um, Sticky Faith. All, all these books are great resources if you just want to kind of read along and, and see what's influencing what I'm thinking and, and how we'll be preaching in this series. Now there's some strategies as a church that, that we're going to participate. One of the strategies is Think Orange. Uh, Th- Think Orange is a North Point, it's a Reggie Joyner uh, philosophy of, of children's education, of youth education, and red represents church, right, and yellow represents family, and so, uh, you know, families can't do it on their own, they need the church, and churches can't do it on their own, we need families, and so orange is this philosophy where, where families 
and churches work together to educate and disciple kids. That's why in your bulletin every week we have a discussion guide. If you've not noticed, anybody have a bulletin? Hold it up. Let me see. Is there anybody with a bulletin? Inside your bulletin every week there is a study guide where you can see what your kids have learned in children's church, what Josh is teaching on Sunday night. And so you can have conversations with your, with your kids about what they're learning. This is an orange philosophy. We, we want you to partner with us as we try to disciple your kids. And we want to partner with you. I know I've got a teenager. Sometimes those questions are hard to get answers to, right? You know, tell me how God is working in your life, Spencer. He's working good. Uh, you know? You know but, but folks, that's life with teenagers and kids, Right? You know, thinking orange, we, we, we want, we want to, to, to partner with you. Sticky faith is, is something Josh has been using, trying to create relationships, prayer partners with our kids and our teens. On the fifth Sunday, the next fifth Sunday is October 30th. We're going to be doing something different. Groan. I know you want to groan. We're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to have one service at 10 o'clock, right? 10 o'clock, we're going to be service time. I, it's right in the middle. Those of you who usually come at 8.30, you get to sleep an extra hour and a half, okay? You praise the Lord. Um, so we're going to do one service at 10 o'clock, everybody together. Logistically, I'm not sure how that will work, quite frankly, because e- even though congregation may not have be as big as it was 10 years ago, still, It's going to be very difficult to get everybody, kids and teens, in one room at one time. And we're going to do something a little bit different. They say, oh, well, they're going to do a kid's service on the fifth Sunday. And so I don't have to come. If you're saying that, you're missing the entire point. We're going to have a generational service where kids and older adults and teens and older adults and families can be together and we can learn together and begin to create connections one with another. I want you, here's your assignment, I want you to start working up excitement in your own life for the fifth Sunday on October 30th, okay? I'm hoping that that this goes so well. We're going to have a meal together and we're going to do all sorts of things uh, together on that Sunday. I'm hoping that becomes a tradition in our church. So something that we look... I'm hoping that you endure listening to me preach for three months until you get to that fifth Sunday, okay? Because I believe it's important. On August 27th, we're having a picnic. Okay, you know, Pastor, how's a picnic that important? You you know, in pitch-in dinners and picnics and fellowships and things that I did like in the church as as a child and a teen, I connected across generations. And so it's important. Now, I'm hoping that when we come to the picnic on August 27th, that you just don't segregate to your normal crew. <laughs> that that you, you mix it up a little bit, okay? Those introverts among us, you, you've just got to pretend you're an extrovert for like two hours, okay? You know, learn a joke. That, that's your assignment. Learn one joke and tell everybody that joke. 
So on August 27th, we're going to have a picnic, and, 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 and we're hoping that this is a cross-generational thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll always need people to be involved in making sure that happens. But this AM, I want to talk about how cross-generational faith relationships should work. And I think that the best model of cross-generation, I think the church is meant to be modeled after the family, and the family is meant to be modeled after the church. I think that those, when we think cross-generational, we think family, and how God designed the family. You know, I think, you know, this past week, spending time with with Terry and the boys, you know, it, 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 there was no separation, but there was a closeness. There was a bond. I mean, that, that's how the church is meant to operate. And there's all sorts of scriptures that deal with cross-generational faith. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said, Amen. yeah, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Then fathers, and I think you can put mothers in here as well, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And all the kids said, oh, you guys, you got, you got to learn to capitalize on those opportunities, right? You know, I, I think this is a good example of, of, of multi-generational bonding and discipleship and learning together. You know, it's, it's, it's something that we choose. And in this scripture, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, it's the same with, with wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving their wife. These are things that we choose. And it's not based on what the other generation does. Uh, you know, older generation, we can't say, well, I am not going, I'm going to exacerbate kids like crazy because they don't honor me enough, right? But, you know, we, we work not to exacerbate whether they're honoring, whether they're obeying, whether they're listening, whether they're respectful or not. And, and kids, those with the older generation, we honor and respect whether they're exacerbating us or not. You know, it's something that we choose to do. Now, I think it's kind of fascinating to me, and, I, and I've, I've always wondered, the sixth commandment, this honoring your father and your mother, comes at the end of slavery. And so Moses, God through Moses, is asking this generation, this younger generation, to honor and submit and respect slaves. And I've always thought that was interesting, and I think... The point of it is this. It's not about productivity. It's not about what they've done. But there's a maturity regardless that, that we owe some respect. And you can't force it. Younger can't force older and, 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 and older can't force younger. But I would say this. The primary responsibility rests on the more mature. And when I say the more mature, it's not just an aged mature, but a spiritually mature. That the primary responsibility in Scripture falls on those who are more mature in their faith. Mutual submission, respect, care, love. These are the default settings of the people of God. Uh, we, we submit to one another. We love one another. We respect one another. We, 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 we don't exacerbate one another. 
And it's a joint, it's a joint responsibility. Cross-generation relationships require mutual respect, support, and care. Now, in the last series, we use this phrase, and I'm not going to ask you to say it again, but the last series, uh, we use this phrase, the choices I make today will affect my legacy. And so, so, so we choose mutual respect, support, and care. That, that's something, if we want to leave a legacy, folks, we choose that. We say, I, I am going to be a person who submits, who respects, who supports, who cares for cross-generational people. And there's some practical ways that we do this. The first is this, avoid blanket generalizations. <laughs> Stop saying all younger people are lazy. Stop saying all older people don't get what I'm talking about. Avoid blanket generalizations. Terry was just at a, a conference uh, with a, um, her HR lady who was someone in her 20s, this younger girl. And so they, they went to this conference, and it was an HR conference. And, and of course, the speaker began with, well, a younger generation just doesn't want to work. <laughs> Avoid those kind of blanket generalizations because they simply are not true. Priorities, the way life is perceived is different. You know, we, we see what we want to see. Amen? We see what we want to see. Um, for, for the past two years since we've moved to Marysville, the last three years, for whatever reason, I've become the deer sider. <laughs> you know, I see deer when I'm driving down the road, and, and so I'll be driving down the road, and Terry will be sitting by me, and what? and I'll smack her in the head and point at it. Anybody else like that? Like, just spot the deer, you know? That's, you know, they're everywhere. They're in fields like cattle now. And so I, I become, that's kind of become the running joke with Spencer. He can't stand it when I do it, you know? And so, you know, I'll scare him after that. Deer! <laughs> so we're riding the beast. Anybody ever ride the beast at Kings Island? I'm riding the beast, and, and we're coming down this hill, and no lie, there was a deer under the, under the roller coaster. That thing was, it was going crazy. You see what you want to see. You see what you want to see. You see what you want to see in each generation. And if you want to see disrespect, if you want to see laziness, if you want to see uh, that, they, that they don't get it, you see it. And this works both ways. It works with younger folks towards older folks and older folks towards younger folks. Listen. <laughs> Listen. You know, I, I think we could talk about listening um, for, for six months and it not be too much. Stephen Covey and his, his book, The Seven practices of effective people says listening involves patience, openness, and the desire to understand. <laughs> In other words, you're not just hearing, but you're seeking understanding. Seek to understand other generations' values. Younger folks, find, find out what's important with people that's older than you. Older people, find out what's important with those that are younger than you. What's what, what the phrase from the Rodney King? Can't we all just get along? <laughs> you know, find out what, what matters, what's important. 
You know, we, sometimes we get so caught up in this glory day stuff. And, and, and I, I've told an older generation before that, that when we emphasize in our glory days and we de-emphasize a younger folks' glory days, we're really just putting water on the fire that the Holy Spirit's trying to create in their life. Understand that, that even though it may not be our glory days or my glory days, it's someone's glory days. Amen. And in 20 years, they're going to look back and say, oh, God was moving in my life. Seek to understand another generation. Be vulnerable with one another. That's a hard one, right? Be vulnerable with one another. Be willing to put yourself out to be hurt. And then finally, love, love, love. <laughs> you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Love is, love is not just this emotional feeling, but, but love is caring, meeting the practical needs of each generation. You know, the loss of a generation should concern the church. And as I, I speak to this small picture of the church, and I'm pleased with where we are, I am extremely concerned with the fate and the future of the church because we're losing a generation. And you should be as well. Folks, there are churches dying all around us, and it's not because they lost the, the baby boomer, boomers or the... The, the greatest generation, it's because they lost the millennials. There are churches dying all around us. Churches have flatlined, even though the numbers of our population have went down, because we have lost a generation. And it concerns me. And, and we go on as if nothing has changed. And it has. I'm concerned. Last week, I, or last week we were in North Carolina, but the week before I went to the South Carolina district camp uh, to see Dylan's group play. Awaken was playing. I hadn't got to see him play. And so I spent a week at camp with teenagers. And um, yeah, it was great. And, uh, <laughs> and as you know, I always thought Southwest Ohio's campground was hot. And I always thought Northwest Ohio's campground could get humid and hot. Let me tell you, South Carolina's camp really, really got hot. And I was thankful for air conditioning when I could get in it. But, but, but I watched these kids, and I watched them respond. And, and they all, you know, time after time they came. You know, when the altar call was given, man, the altars were full two or three times each time. You know what went through my mind? May their spiritual fever May it be as alive in 10 years as it is right now. May these kids who, who are seeking God, right, because they're legitimately seeking, they're not playing pretend. When they turn 18, when they turn 21, may God still be number one on their priorities. So we start early. You ever hear the phrase, shutting the barn door uh, to, after the horse is already out, right? <laughs> so, so we shut the barn door while the horse is in, you know, while we've got our kids. Go ahead and bring the kids up, Kim. Josh, can your teens come up too? Yeah. Yeah, bring them up.
That was kind of weak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Your mission field, your responsibility. This isn't Pastor Kim's or Pastor Josh's responsibility or my responsibility. I don't even believe it's just simply the parents' responsibility, but this is our responsibility. God has blessed you. Folks, on a Sunday morning, in most churches our size, I mean, we're not that large of a church, to have clear across sanctuary, teens and kids. Now, granted, half of them are greens. <laughs> but you've come in the second service, it'll be the same. To have two services full of kids from side to side is a blessing. But it's also a responsibility. And it's not just about our younger kids. It's not just about teens and kids. It's an older generation as well. You know, we need more than me to be responsible for shut-ins in our congregation. Amen? Amen. Folks, it's got to be more than me. Terry and Sharon, Sharon, stand back here. Where's Terry Moore? Terry, stand. Terry and Sharon are undertaking some of our, um, our care ministries, and, and we're coordinating those who need care. We have, we have several shut-ins in our congregation and people that need you. Um, you can sit down, Terry. And, and we'd love you to, to be participate. And it, and it doesn't take, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a deep theologian just to sit down with somebody and say a prayer and talk to them and tell them you care. You know, here, here's the truth. I used to always say, oh, you're so busy. No one is too busy to care for other people. And if we're too busy to care for each other, we need to look at what our priorities are and determine why we're so busy. Here's the truth. We do what we want to do. Amen? Amen? Amen. We do what we want to do. And, and, and folks, some, some of us drive by the gables, and it would take 10 minutes. It would take 10 minutes to pull our car into a parking lot, to get out of our car and walk back and say, hey, Bill Griffith, love you, bud, miss you. Let me say a quick prayer for you. It would take us 10 minutes out of our day to do things like that. And you know, it would make a difference in the life of so many people. So it's not just about younger, it's, a, it's about multiple generations and we are all responsible for each other. Can you say that with me? We are all responsible for each other. Now we're going to close with communion today, and we're going to do it a little bit, a little bit differently. And logistically, I'm not sure how it's going to work. So you guys say a quick prayer with me that this will work good. The, the ideal is there'll be one child, one kid, one teen, one holding the juice and one holding the bread, and then they're going to go out into the congregation. We have one, one little basket full of gluten-free, and so we'll have that kid raise their hand if you need gluten-free. And then we'd like seven, eight together around, and we're going to have more than that with the kids. Uh, the kids will be, be serving the communion after I read. Why don't you guys go ahead, let's start getting into our circles. If you were an adult and you agreed to pray in a group, would you come forward?
as well.